Welcome to the first episode of the Sharp Best Ball Show. I am your host, Todd Burrows, at Best Ball NFL on Twitter. And today we are joined by Hayden Winks of Underdog Fantasy, and we will be discussing some of his recent work, especially his article on how to adapt to the changes in ADP trends from 2022 to current ADP. ADP is the heart of best ball, and we will cover that in great depth as we move through this series. In this series, my goal is to cover all the most important parts of best ball, from basic roster construction and player exposure, all the way up to advanced strategies for tournaments to help you to try and take down life-changing money. Going forward, I hope to have these recorded live so you all can jump into the comments on YouTube. And weekly, I will also write a short article that will be a companion piece to the podcast, which going forward, we hope to have out the day before the podcast records. But for now, sit back and enjoy and say hello with me to Hayden Winks at Hayden Winks on Twitter. Hayden, it is really um, a, a big pleasure for me to finally meet you. Um, I, I have been just stone impressed by all the work you put out. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you may have done before you became a fantasy god, and um, the path that led you to underdog fantasy? Well, none of that's true. Um, little backstory. I went to USC for college. Um, and after that, I interned uh, for the Los Angeles Chargers doing marketing. Um, at the kind of in between those, I was writing Roto World blurbs. Um, so after I left the Chargers, I went to Roto World full time covering the NFL. Um, that's where I started podcasting with Josh Norris, who's my co host now at Underdog Fantasy. Once he left for Underdog, he I kind of just followed his footsteps. So in the meantime, I kind of have a, a math background. So the best ball format in particular was very uh, cool for me to kind of join on. Underdog's been very uh, polite in uh, letting all of the data out there publicly. So everybody like myself can do some research on the trends, what's working, what's not working. So I think it's a space that's the content's getting better and better. There's more and more people entering the best ball content is making it a uh, 24 hours, 365 days uh, per year kind of uh, format. So that's really exciting for everybody that loves fantasy football. Yeah. I mean, we used to joke a few years ago that fantasy never ended. And now with the early tournaments, it, it really is it's true. true. Yep. I mean, uh, this year, I think, when did the, the, the big board start this year? It was uh, before the Super Bowl or a couple days after, right? Yep. It was right before the Super Bowl. We went out there to, to cover the Super Bowl as the underdog content team. And we had our first tournament live the Friday before the Super Bowl. So I think that's probably going to be our plan for most of the years. And then Best Ball Mania 4, which is our biggest content, the biggest fantasy football con uh, contest uh, there ever was, and probably will be the same again this year. That will launch the day after the NFL draft. So it's going to be, if you want to play fantasy football, there's we got drafts for you. Absolutely. And you have other kinds of drafts as well. It's not just big tournaments. You can play in smaller contests and any way you want to scratch your itch for fantasy football. Um, I, I think that you guys uh, have given everyone something to really feel good about. It's good to hear. Um, I, um, you know, underdog has seen tremendous growth. You obviously have real best ball chops as anyone who reads your stuff uh, can see. 
how much do you wish the rules were different so that you could actually play and and test out your theories well there's some workarounds we have employee only tournaments and contests so the employees are still able to draft only against each other correct as as we which is like kissing your sister i mean let's face yes yes but at the same time our uh the amount of employees that i have now continues to get bigger and bigger so the amount of drafts i'm able to do actually does pan out but i also i also watch all the content out there for draft streams i pay attention to the draft boards i'm always looking at the adp pages so even though i don't probably play as much as all of the biggest experts i feel like i have my pulse right there just because i'm literally looking at this stuff like basically uh every single day and can you play best ball on other sites nope nope it's i can't play anything the only thing i can play is underdog formats against employees and she'll never see my name in the lobby um yeah that's how it is yeah so you can't play anywhere else does that go for dfs too yeah can't play dfs we have dfs tournaments on underdog that i'm able to play against the employees um i don't have access to anything that's current all the data that i'm using is completely publicly available and the second i uh drop that link the publicly downloaded link onto underdog network then i start getting into some of the details so uh, anything I have access to, everyone else has access to. That's just a policy uh, that Nick Rudman and the underdog team wants, and I completely agree with and stand by. Yeah, it makes it a lot more fun, and it makes it a lot better for guys like me to be able to study. And obviously, reading your stuff and Josh's stuff, you guys really are a part of the industry. You're not just employees of underdog, and um, you guys do great work. So you've you done a lot of work on best ball studying last year. Before we get into specifics on any one article, what would you say is the one thing that surprised you the most in all your research where you looked at last year and said, you know, I didn't expect that? Yeah, so I haven't gotten into too much of last year's data, but like kind of just a general theory is I'm always surprised at how little the running back position is valued on underdog fantasy just because it's a half uh, PPR site. Um, And I think that people kind of overestimate the wide receiver spike weeks versus the running back spike weeks. Um, And then last year as well, I think that people are always assuming that the quarterbacks, they don't have, they don't separate from the field like other positions. And I haven't found that to be true at all too. So uh, I think that the one thing that continues to surprise me is I don't think that we've, fully like mathematically understood the like positions over replacements and who's actually spiking weeks. What does it mean over the course of the season? What does it mean in these tournaments where we're trying to win first place in one specific week? So I think that's kind of the, the one thing that we, there's always like these theories, but I'm not sure if people have understood the math behind how we can define a spike week, the points over replacement, all that stuff. So that's something been probably the biggest focus I have. And I like looking at that stuff because it doesn't really, look at the sample from last year. Like, I don't want to pretend that like you have to draft a quarterback in ninth, the ninth round because that's what won last year. If I'm looking at this kind of just from like a longer bridge um, of how quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers have performed over the last 10, 10 years, then you can kind of uh, divvy out where players should be going based off of their performance usually. Yeah. So that was something that I've been thinking about a lot, and I finally decided to do something about this year. I haven't done it with Underdog yet. I did it with another site uh, because I had easier access quicker to that information. Yep. So what I did was I took the number of positions that were available 
and they have two flexes, two running backs, and two wide receivers. So times 12, that's 72 spots. So each week, I took the top 72 scores at that position, and then I subtracted one point, right? And I call that a usable week. And I figure you need to have a little bit of grace because, you know, and that became – and then I times that by the number of weeks that each player – hit that. And mm-hmm. that became a percentage of weeks that they have what I consider a floor, a usable score is what I call it. And then what I did, let's say that 72nd minus one, po- let's say 72nd was 10 points. That meant anything nine and above that week would be, um, would, would you know, you would also get points above replacement, mm-hmm. right? Uh, or I called it points above usable. All right. So, if a guy scored 20 points and the usable week was nine, then he would get 11 points towards yep. uh, that. And then I took that and divided it by number of games played, uh, taking out as best I could when guys got injured, if they missed three games and he only scored one point, I would take that one point game out as well. And it was really fascinating. The number first thing I noticed was Cooper Cup. You know, if everyone said to you last year who had the better year, Justin Jefferson or Cooper Cup, everyone would just say Justin Jefferson. But Cooper Cup had 100% usable weeks. I think Jefferson had two weeks where he didn't. And Cup averaged one point more a game in the games he played than Jefferson did. So he was actually on pace to be better than Justin Jefferson on both points. And I feel like that has helped me to have a better understanding of both floor and ceiling because part of my process is I want both on my teams, right? I think that you need both floor and ceiling. Would you agree with that? Yeah, you definitely want floor and ceiling. I always going to be looking at the ceiling, of course. I have... uh fantasy points over uh, replacement as well. And my numbers back that up. I had Cooper cup with 11.2 and Justin Jefferson at 10.2. So our math completely lines up there. And yep. it's the first column I do every single year. It's I, I, I call them better in best ball points because you're valuing the spike weeks. Um, and yeah, it's like the first thing I look at and that's kind of what led me to the quarterbacks are undervalued piece that I wrote uh, going into last off season, just because the quarterbacks, if you look at them, they get drafted like not this year, uh, but the previous years. Historically, they, yeah. Like Historically, 20... you get the first guy in like the third round, Correct. second guy late fourth, and yep. and you know depending on the year, you get three or four guys in that first six rounds. Yep, and then in the better and best ball points that I'm looking at, the quarterbacks are right like eighth overall, twelfth overall, fifteenth overall, thirtieth overall, and not only that is that their points are more than where they're getting drafted at. I think that we can predict quarterbacks at a better rate than we can some of these other positions because they have a larger sample of dropbacks. We've seen these quarterbacks. We obviously study them so much because they're so important to the game. And I think that we can kind of control for which type of quarterbacks are going to be usable. Um, So I looked at it last year. and was like, I think the quarterbacks are going to be underdrafted. And then looking at the by week, looking at just like how quarterbacks separate versus the replacement level. I think people always assume that like the quarterback 23 is going to pop in there and can match Josh Allen. Well, when Josh Allen and Jalen hurts goes off, 
they are wrecking people and even more so than like the Travis Kelsey over the tight end positions. And I think we've underestimated that. So that's why I think the ADPs are up on, on underdog this year. And I think it's right, rightfully so. Um, obviously there's gonna be some components about how do you stack and stuff? Cause it's such an important piece of best ball, but I'm with you. The, the over replacement studies um, they're not looking at basically like where, um, which round you should be drafting a quarterback in based off of last year. But if you just like look at, these buckets of the top quarterbacks, they were always in the top 20 in these over-replacement studies that I've been doing for like the last five years, yet their ADPs never matched that. Well, uh, we're going to get into that a little bit more, and I want to tell you another study that I did to try and get a grip on the changes. You know, um, so, um, you know, that's the artic- main article I want to cover today. Uh, the great article you did, Fantasy Football ADP, what's changed from 2022 to 2023. I find this fascinating as many, even the top analysts, I find want to apply what they learned from last year to, without really taking into consideration any changes. Have you noticed that as well? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, it's I mean, we don't be... want to dog other people, but we, yeah. you know, it, it is kind of an advantage that we can garner by not falling into that trap. Yeah. And I think it's very easy to do. That's uh, after I did the better in best ball study, I looked at the ADP changes as well, just so I can get the kind of foundation of where the format is. So when I am doing my, like what worked last year studies, I can kind of see, is this going to be applicable for this next year or not? So I posted a chart, I posted a column on there and just kind of shows All right, the running back 14 this year, where is he being drafted overall versus the running back 14 the previous year and what's happened. I did the same exact column uh, going into the 2022 season and every single year I've been doing this, the wide receivers get priced up and the running backs get cheaper and cheaper. And I think that there's some context around this, why that is uh, in uh, this year because of the running back position, which I'm sure we'll get into, but I'm with you. Obviously the, what worked last year is doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work this next year, especially if the prices change. Cause that's like basically half the battle. Yep. So that led me to the biggest conundrum because we already saw two years ago quarterbacks move up a couple rounds and that changed um, things. Now, I was I've never been the get the early guy, but I've always really tapped into that second tier, which was turned out to be a terrible. Normally, you get one guy in that five to eight range who gives you a top three year. Last year, that whole tier just blew up and was awful. Um, And that acerbated the advantage that the Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, and Jalen Hurts gave you because Russell Wilson was way off his career numbers. Matthew Stafford as well, and he got hurt. Dak got hurt week one. That whole tier kind of got blown up. And it's very similar to what the studying I've done on advance rates, which is that Advance rates are tied not just to performance, but who is drafted in concert with you and who got hurt, especially early. Like if you were the fourth pick in an average draft the year before and the number five and number six guy both got hurt week one, that would give you a kind of a, a supercharge effect on your advance rates. And, and I think it's, it's very similar to what happened last year. How much have the quarterbacks moved up in general? And do you still think the top three quarterbacks should be priorities for people drafting this year? 
So the top eight running backs, and this isn't super flexible. Quarterbacks. Yeah, quarterbacks. Yeah. Uh, they were drafted on average 22 spots earlier this year than the previous year. And this was coming using data from uh, February 27th. Since then, the quarterback slid back a little bit. So I would say Especially that. Especially the second tier. The first guys haven't slid back as much. Right, right. So I would say they're basically the 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 elite quarterback ones or the mid-range quarterback ones are about around earlier than where they were last year and for uh just looking at the quarterbacks over or the fantasy points over replacement from my study uh Jalen Hurts was the 11th overall player Josh Allen was the 14th overall player Patrick Mahomes 16th overall then there was a big tier break and then you get into your Joe Burrow who's 35th overall Justin Fields 41st overall Lamar Jackson 45th overall I'm using uh per game numbers here as well so um, I think that the prices are efficient. I don't think that these quarterbacks are values anymore. I don't think that they're going too early. I think this is efficient price tags. Uh, just in just looking at this from uh, a thousand feet up in the air. Obviously, that's not exactly what we're trying to plan for. We still have to stack correctly. How does your Jalen Hurts and your AJ Brown line up? I don't want necessarily Josh Allen must have Steph Diggs. There's a lot of things like that that we have to kind of fall into order before I can say this is a good pick or not a good pick. But just looking at it, if we weren't trying to game plan for best ball tournaments, I think that these price tags are fair. This is about the right value. I think I don't think that Jalen Hurts should be a top eight overall player, but I think that him in the second round is definitely appropriate. Yeah, and I don't disagree. And I, I want to show you something that I did. So what I did was I took, uh, and this is by round, and I normalized it for injury. So you can see in 22, 19.8 was the average score from a guy in the first round that didn't get hurt. 21, it was 18.9. And then you see a big drop off to round two. And it's kind of flat in round three and round four. So to me, this, uh, oh, and then you look over here with uh, quarterbacks and you see tier one points per game, tier two points per game. Um, and I what I was trying to do was I wanted to see you know, because ultimately winning comes down to if you take a quarterback in the second round, what are you going to get in the, you know, like I've taken a lot of Dak Prescott and Deshaun Watson this year. Right. Um, because I see them as the second tier guys, especially since they dropped around the since the early draft. Now you got five, six round difference between them and the top three. And I feel I gain a big advantage if one of them should pop a top three year, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Um, but uh, what did you think about that as far as, you know, in other words, really the points per round and the points per tier at quarterback, I think is a, a, an efficient way to try and get a sense of how we should attack these changes. Yeah. So like looking at it last year, there was, uh, I had six players that had over 10 points per game over the replacement at their position. And this includes the flex spot as well. It was Cooper cup, Austin Eckler, Christian McCaffrey, Derek Henry, Josh Jacobs, Justin Jefferson, and then Devonte Adams was right there as well. I don't think any quarterbacks are going to touch those guys. So that's the reason why the non quarterbacks go in the first round. Cause we're trying to find the next year's version of Correct. these type of players, because uh, when you include the flex spot, like the replacement level drops a lot further down the the list because Justin Jefferson's 13 point week, which is nothing special on Jeff, Justin Jefferson standards. He's still going to be in your lineup because the replacement level spot is around 10 points and half PPR. Uh, it's a little bit, if, if Josh Allen gets you 18 points, which is about the same difference as that, 
the quarterback 12 on the week is probably going to beat that score. So at the same time, though, is those top end quarterbacks have been so consistently getting those usable weeks up there and they still have one week samples where they can go off. I think that they can compete with this next tier of players like last year, for example, uh, Saquon Barkley, Steph Diggs, Travis Kelsey, Nick Chubb, uh, Brees Hall, uh, AJ Brown, CD Lamb. I think that the elite level quarterbacks can match match those players no problem, and especially quarterbacks are not going to get as injured as as often. I think that they're a little bit more predictable as well. Yeah, and in big tournaments, it does come down to me. I'm underweight on the big three right now, but every lineup that I have with them, I pretty much get a stack, right? Like Mahomes, I've taken when he drops, and you can get Kelsey because you just can't trust. You know, and, and more study needs to be done. Um, I think people overstack teams. Um, mm. And I think that uh, I've seen research in the past where if you, you know, you could take the first target uh, and the third best guy, but the taking the quarterback, the first and the second guy, you think there's this big advantage. And, and, and often it isn't because if those top, like, T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. I was going to say, I think it depends on the price tags because in that, I agree with you taking Jamar Chase and T Higgins. If you have to spend a top five pick on Jamar Chase and then a top 25 pick or a top 30 pick on T Higgins, the chance that both of them bink in this, in this uh, first and third round in a single week are relatively lower. If Jamar Chase has that monster week, T Higgins is probably not going to beat the entire third round of players. So I think that I agree with you, but I do think that Tyler Boyd or, or if the number two receiver, let's use um, I'm drawing a blank. Like let's say, well, let's, the, let's use the Vikings, right? Perfect. Um, example. If they, if they, if, if they go out and they take, um, they get Jackson in, in Jigba, okay. right. In the draft. And he's the sixth rounder. Yeah. I would consider it, but I wouldn't love it. But if they take an Addison or a Zay flowers in the 10th round, yeah. then I definitely wouldn't mind taking all three. Yes, and also the quarterback is and the not quarterback's much later. cheaper. So I always like to tie in my tight end with my quarterback when I when I can just because so much of the production for tight ends when they are going to have a usable week, it's because of that touchdown, not necessarily because their yards and their touch or the receptions because they don't have as many on the raw numbers. And obviously touchdowns are correlated exactly to the quarterback spot. So I'll like the Vikings currently set up. I think it's okay to go Justin Jefferson, TJ Hawkinson, and then Kirk cousins, even though it's the top three players at their positions, but I'm with you going Jamar chase, Joe Burrow and T Higgins and rounds one, two, three to me, that is overdoing it. So I think even one, three, four, correct. And you know, even one, three, if you know, cause Burrow sometimes drops, Yes. And you can, you know, in the beginning, you were seeing him at that two, three turn. Yeah. And I've been able to take a couple shares in the early fourth. Yes. And I think that also going the it's two wide receiver spots. I think it's easier for, uh, let's say, like uh, Jamar Chase goes or let's use the Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson can have a insane wide receiver week, be the number one wide receiver. You must have him to win the best ball championship. And TJ Hawkinson, all he has to do to become that level player is only, uh, 80 yards in a touchdown. It's easier for him to kind of separate from the tight ends rather than T Higgins. 
uh, as the wide receiver too, he still has to get 150 yards and two touchdowns to be that difference maker. And there's just, if you look at it, there's just not enough yards and touchdowns to go around these offenses. So I always and I like, forgot Hawkinson when I did my example. So that was a bad example. No, it's, it's totally part. fine. I, I, th- I just think that uh, wide receiver, wide receiver versus wide receiver and tight end, you can start making the upside cases happen in the wide receiver tight end bill, just because the like replacement level is lower for that second option. Yeah. And, um, and also, uh, you know, historically we've seen offenses that overachieve one year regress the next uh, and, and you can't count on it, but you, you certainly are paying top dollar for those three offenses. And, and I think it is always worth, again, you know, a guy like me, I'm going to do 150 or a hundred teams in a, in a, in the big, in the BBM four, you know, if I do a hundred teams, I, I don't want, you know, I want to have a, a take a lot of shots at finding the next Eagles, right? Okay. I want to, I want to find, you know, like the Browns, uh, another example, Deshaun Watson looked terrible last year, but he had two years of rust to kick off. They've upgraded his weapons. They're a lot cheaper than other people. I mean, that's an offense that could, you know, next year we could see Deshaun Watson in the third. We could see, uh, Amari Cooper in the second, and we could see one of his other receivers in the fourth, fifth round. Mm-hmm. I think you need to take shots at that. I I agree. the The good thing with the Browns, and I'm I'm on them with you, just because the upside is there. We've seen it from them. I know that there's offense is good. I trust the offensive line. I trust the coaching staff. I trust everything except Deshaun Watson. But if Deshaun Watson returns, he's going to smash. The good news about the Browns, though, is all those price tags are rounds what four and beyond. So I still think that you can stack the Eagles. The thing that I'm struggling with the most about the Eagles stack is I think AJ Brown is overvalued. If you're looking at of the points over replacement, the math just doesn't align with his. ADP. I know. Uh, so I struggle. So, and I like Devonta Smith, but yes. now he, where he was mid third early, mm-hmm. now he's at the end of the second. Right. So that's the, my problem with Jalen Hurts because I think that Jalen Hurts where he's going is worth the price. Um, but I think AJ Brown is a little bit overdrafted. So I think when, when I am going to be drafting Jalen Hurts, I think I'm going to be drafting Jalen Hurts and then going out of my way to find Devonta Smith. Hopefully he's there in the third round. And if not, I'm going to have to find uh, Dallas at his price tag. So I think that's the important discussion is when are you drafting the top quarterbacks? Just because I have a good value does not necessarily mean that, uh, they're good best ball picks because you have to stack and correlate correctly. So um, that like makes the Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, a dynamic a little bit easier or harder to navigate. Um, but I guess you can draft Patrick Mahomes and draft a bunch of the chiefs wide receivers later because uh, their price tags are relatively affordable. Correct. Correct. And, and, and again, that is um, all reasonable stuff. And I think that, you know, I wanted to get into a lot more things, but I think this is such a rich vein of conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also think you can win tournaments with running quarterbacks if the three wep- if the three weapons are all, you know, it's going to be rare with a running quarterback to have two guys out of those three weapons give you a week you, you absolutely need to have. During the th- during the three weeks of the playoffs, you're probably going to get one week where y- you know you're going to probably need one of them. Um, but you know, a, 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 you know, so we also have to separate running quarterbacks 
uh, especially ones who score touchdowns like Jalen Hurts can with that, you know, push him, push him in the back and he gets a TD. Mm -hmm. Um, let's move over to the wide receiver position. Can, can I just say one thing real quick on that? Just Absolutely. because I think it's important. Um, I'm looking at it the other way sometimes too, where if I'm drafting an elite wide receiver and the quarterback is a running base quarterback, let's use AJ Brown, Jalen Hurts, for example, the days that AJ Brown is the guy that you need and you're passing over Jalen Hurts in the second round. Well, if AJ Brown has 150 yards and two touchdowns, and we already know that Jalen Hurts is going to run, run around Jalen Hurts is going to be a top two, top three quarterback Absolutely. on that week. So that's the one of the things I'm kind of struggling with is I see A.J. Brown picked and they skip over Jalen Hurts. So I'm like, well, if A.J. Brown's the guy you need. What are the odds that Jalen Hurts isn't also going off? Obviously, there's some scenarios where that does happen, but I, I'm looking at it kind of the inverse on where the running quarterbacks are. And then the second part is the running quarterbacks are so valuable and they get priced up and everyone's so focused on stacking. Uh, we saw this a little bit with the Broncos. Obviously, it didn't work out last year, but the the I think the pass catchers on teams with a elite fantasy quarterback are priced up just a little bit more because of stacking purposes. So all of a sudden you have the running quarterback and then you're adding more and more pass catchers. Some of the math might be a little bit harder to figure out with some of those pass catchers because people are going out of the way to stack. Like I think right after the the DJ Moore trade, everybody wants to draft Justin Fields, obviously. And then they're gonna just bring up DJ Moore to make sure that they get them together at that turn. Um I'm not sure if that's the, the Justin Fields value is him running, not necessarily throwing the ball. So I think that we have to be cognizant of not drafting the uh, receiving options for the running quarterbacks a little bit too early uh, based on the math. Yeah, and that and, and I am perfectly – Justin Fields, out of the early quarterbacks, he's the one I have the heaviest ownership on because I do think that he, he, it, it's kind of a spread offense. And, you know, he is – he is able to win you a tournament, I think, without 100%. DJ Moore, without any of any of his other options. Now, it's so easy to add Kmet. It's so easy to add um, Claypool, but I certainly don't mind not doing it. So, what we're talking about here, folks, is having an open mindset and having a general sense of what you want to do but being flexible to mix it up depending on each situation because each situation is different. If Justin Fields gives you a 45-point week in week 15, um, you know, you're going to advance and you're going to be up against a lot of other Justin Fields uh, teams. But if Justin Fields has a crappy week 16, you know, if you have a decent other quarterback, and, you know, DJ Moore uh, doesn't do anything, nobody does anything, and you had that whole team, you're probably not getting through week 16. So mm -hmm. I, I think you have to look at each team as a separate entity. And, um, I, you know, my whole philosophy is you draft the team to advance, but also you, you have to make sure that it's loaded up to get through each of these weeks. Yeah, that's why I want definitely two, three, four teams to be stacking with. So, um, that, that and that's another component of how to stack this year is yes, the quarterbacks, uh, the elite quarterbacks are priced up relative to where they were previously, but so are the quarterback threes. You know, like those quarterbacks are also a round or two earlier than where they were going previously. So, if the entire position's priced up, then everyone's kind of running in the same boat here. Like, if you punted quarterbacks, obviously, like, 
being priced up around when it's going from round three to round two is a bigger difference than being priced up from round 15 to 14. But in general, all of the quarterbacks are priced up. Um, so you're, you're not necessarily like not evenly, though, not evenly, because the first tier guys have have not dipped. Um, and I think part of the reason the first tier guys haven't dipped is I don't love anyone in that, you know, kind of once you get past like pick 14, 15, I find it pretty flat up to, you know, kind of the mid third round. There's nobody where I say, oh, wow, this is, you know, this guy really does. I, I think we end up forcing people into this, like Garrett Wilson. I love Garrett Wilson, but it's hard not to think that he's being drafted at a ceiling. Um, and there's a lot of guys like that, which makes the quarterbacks more intriguing um, to, to take because I don't feel like I'm missing out on anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it, it's. I, I agree that that fifteenth to the the early part of the third round, I think, is pretty good. And I think that's a big advantage of like getting the first overall pick this year. Like, I love the Justin Jefferson teams, and I love those running backs at the two three turn right now uh, because running back prices are down. I think you can get a lot of those running backs who have like running back one overall in their range of outcomes, like Brees Hall, Nick Chubb, even. Uh, with Kareem Hunt Especially gone. Especially in half, half PPR, yeah. Yeah, like that That range to me is very, very, very clean. Um, so I'm with you. The, the counterpoint is that there's running back value everywhere. Yeah. And so let's get into wide receiver. Um, last year's wide receiver, you know, last two years, wide rec- about midway through 2020, wide receivers just, you know, kind of got like a comet, right? They just started rocketing up every, you know, Everyone wanted them. And, um, you know, running back does tend to be the forgotten position, allowing for value at the position throughout the draft. In your article, you mentioned you think running backs will move up as we get closer. Any thoughts on what you think is the optimal way to attack running back this year? And has it changed much since the big board started as you know, when I first started, I was getting Tajay Spears, Rojan Johnson, and Israel Abanaconda whenever I wanted them, right? Yeah. Those days are over, so I'm not finding as much value at running back late. What are your thoughts on how to play running back and wide receiver? So early in, like, so like the big board, maybe the first couple weeks or first month or two of Best Ball Mania 4, I think there's definitely a bias in the people that are currently drafting and setting these ADPs. Uh, these are a lot of these uh, people that come from like Rotoviz or Establish the Run who are very wide receiver focused, and they're going to be punting running backs in particular. And then later on in August, uh, you get uh, other types of drafters coming in. They're more likely to draft some running backs. So I think that's- I, I call the- it tourist season. Yes. So those those uh, the running back prices, are, I think, are inevitably going to go up. More importantly, like you said, though, with all those rookies, is there's so much uncertainty at the running back position there's going to be a couple of guys that just like go into the perfect landing spot and their price tags are going to go way up. There's some veteran running backs that have uh, that are going to get cut and they're going to get uh, finding new homes like Joe Mixon, Dalvin cook, some of these types these running backs uh, in the draft, they're going to find landing spots um, and their draft stock is going to go up. So I, I think it's going to be very clear to us, which running backs those are right after the NFL draft. Um, but for this year in particular, the, the big thing is, all of the top five, top 10 running backs for the last half decade, they're all now like 27, 28, 29 years old, Derrick Henry types. And we're not drafting them where they once were, obviously, and for right reasons. But I do want to warn people that 
just because that they're going to go and not be as productive does not necessarily mean that the entire NFL's uh, NFL wide, their rushing production is going to fall off of a cliff. We're just going to find people that have not done uh, that production, that haven't had that production in the NFL before. They're just going to absorb a lot of that. We're just not going to see uh, rushing yards dip by 25% just because Derrick Henry isn't the same Derrick Henry. Somebody else is going to come in there and absorb some of those rushing yards. And that's why I think that people zoom in a little bit or critique the um, what worked last year um, a little bit too much because we can look at this, like what happens over the last 10 years, not at like in round eight, round nine, but just how much rushing production is there going to be? And when we start doing pro- projections for these players, it's going to go to somewhere. So I think that right now the best way to approach it is I'm going to be drafting more running backs in general because I think the entire position is undervalued. And I think that can start in round one, two, three. Or like you said, there's some players like the Alexander Madison types. I still think like Roshan Johnson and those types. Some of these guys are going to be absolute massive wins. And if the wide receiver position is more expensive than ever, I don't want to be drafting as many wide receivers as we were three years ago. There's diminishing returns to that, especially if the price tags are going up a little bit. So for me, one of the things, and it might seem backwards, but at the end of drafts, being able to get usable players is very important. And there's always going to be some positions where there's just nobody you like late. And it, it, it was real easy for me to draft early uh, because of those, uh, uh, both the free agents and the rookies the uncertainty caused uh, uncertainty. And there are a lot of these running backs because I watched a lot of tape early and you and I have talked on Twitter about how we kind of liked a lot of the same guys. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was able to get Ro- I was taking Roshan and literally every draft in the 17th round. And if I hadn't taken him, I might've gotten him about 50% of the time in the 18th or the 19th. Um, now what I'm seeing is there are decent wide receivers at the end of the drafts. Um, you know, because I still have some slows going from the big board. You get to the end, Miko Hardman is in the 20th round. There's, you know, Claypool's in the 18th, 19th round. I mean, there are guys with real roles and real upside at wide receiver late. That's going to change how much, how I draft through the first 15 rounds. Um, would you agree that's uh, an interesting way and a good way to look at it? So I think that goes into the point where I want to study what's ha- what's been optimal in previous years, but ultimately how positions tier up versus ADP is what's going to dictate my strategy for this year. If I think like you're the two players that you mentioned, you think that they're being very underpriced, then I think that you should go out of your way and continue the strategy. I think looking at this for the last couple years, Wide receivers really late don't uh, add as many fantasy points as, for example, the position that I love taking late is tight ends because the tight end 25 is still an NFL starter. Once we get into like the wide receiver 100, now we're talking about players that aren't even going to be in the starting lineup, especially in the red zones for their own NFL team. So historically, the tight end position is the one that's adding a little bit more points to your best ball lineup, especially because your tight end one is so volatile compared to your wide receivers and running backs that it doesn't take that much for your tight end one that you drafted to only have six points. And all of a sudden this uh, tight end three that you drafted in round 19, he just happens to score a touchdown and all of a sudden he's in your lineup. Um, so how I usually attack it is I think that the tight end positions are the ones 
undervalued. I think part of the reason is because we stress so much as a fantasy community about these wide receivers. I think it's going to be harder and harder to find that breakout wide receiver because everybody is obsessed with the position so much. And there's so much buzz around all these wide receivers that I think it's going to be harder to find late round wide receivers as we continue to do this and tight end position. That's the one that I want to be taking late just because I'll play that, that touchdown uh, variance. And I think like the tight end 25, that's a full-time player in the NFL, the wide receiver, a hundred in that same round, he's only going to be a rotational player. Yeah. And that's going to change once we transform from the early best ball where there's 20 rounds yep. to, to regular best ball where there's 18 that, yeah. that, that, uh, that changes the dynamic a lot. Um, but my, I, my point was more, I'm surprised that I'm seeing at least wide receivers. I want to take late where I haven't for two years, but I agree with you. Um, I've got over 40% right now, Jelani woods, and I'm, pretty close with Isaiah likely my my predication is always to find talented guys and I worry less about them being blocked or you know the uncertainty is why they're going so late right if we knew Isaiah likely was a starter and they were going to run two tight ends a lot he wouldn't be going as late as he is Jelani Woods if we knew that he was going to take that talent and cash it in he'd be going 10th, 11th round, right? The uncertainty is what's allowing these talented guys to go late. I was taking a lot of Gusecki before um, before um, his landing spot, which kind of dampered me a little. But what I was doing, I was big on uh, Darren Waller before the trade because he was going like 8th, ninth round. Mm-hmm. and I Or I was taking a Friermuth or a Dulcich, Guys who I feel have the upside to be top four or five guys in Joku. And then I was hitting two tight ends late in the 20 uh, round format. Yeah, no, I like that a, a lot. I, 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 I basically just punt the position. That's just kind of my stance. It's just, it's so hard to find tight ends who really separate uh, at the position. And if you're going to be betting against like a good way, uh, like for the late round tight end uh, strategy to pay off this year, Travis Kelsey misses five games or just misses week 17. And all of a sudden, everybody in that entire tier uh, in the late round tier way up. You're not going to get that from the running backs or wide receivers because there's so many people. Uh, there's so many like running backs and wide receivers contributing to those like t- high end tight ends weeks. So I think it's much easier for the late round tight end strategy to pay off. Travis Kelsey has a down year. He regresses a little bit. He ages a little bit. He gets injured a little bit. And all of a sudden, the the you're not chasing those massive ceilings because nobody else really has access to those. So um, I'm always on team late round tight end, especially this year. We're getting so many rookie tight ends. Obviously, rookie tight ends don't normally contribute to fantasy. But I think later on the season when we're playing in these best ball tournaments, their odds of getting in the end zone are a little bit higher. Um, and I've been running the models for these this draft class and uh, three of the top 15 prospects in my model since 2005 are in this draft class. Um, so I think there's a chance that these I guys. Think you like, really... I think you like Mayer more than I do. Yeah, um, I'm just watching him now and I can see why he, he's just he's just not a crazy athlete. But they no. use him. They use him like he's Gronk. He right. doesn't move like Gronk, but they no. use him in motion. They split him out. They get him in the advantageous matchups. Um so I can see why an NFL team's going to like him. I think Kincaid's got a chance. Darnell Washington. And he can block. He'll be on the block field. really well. So, yeah, I just I think it's a bet against the elite tight ends. Um, and I would just rather have the 
running backs kind of going where the elite tight ends are or the quarterbacks who are going where the elite tight ends are. And I would rather just hope and pray Gerald Everett scores, uh, Tyler Higby scores, uh, Noah Fant breaks out eventually, one of these rookie tight ends, or just I, I'm finding the correlation. I'm finding like I want to draft the quarterback who scores the most points and then find the correlation at the tight end position afterwards because that's a uh, they don't contribute as much. So I'd rather control the destiny destiny of the correlation based off of drafting the quarterback early and not drafting the tight end early and then having to draft the uh, the quarterback afterwards, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I I think that is a very, very reasonable take. Um with volume, I think you want some of the early tight ends, but just like quarterback, Travis Kelsey got supercharged last year because the second tier tight ends completely failed. Waller mm-hmm. got hurt, Andrews got hurt. Pitts sucked and then got hurt. So, you know, you get that double bonus, right? Because there were these other teams in your leagues that used draft capital on the early tight ends that failed. It all the more made Travis Kelsey teams, you know, rocket ships. Mm -hmm. Um, And then no one really came, you know, became the next guy. So it, it was, it was a perfect storm for Travis Kelsey and, at going into his age 34 season, I don't want to count on that. Um, yeah. I'm not a big Travis Kelsey drafter right now. Um, I'm doing it a little more because Mahomes is starting to fall a little. Yeah, and and this is just like one metric, but look, going back over the fantasy points over replacement, uh, comparing Travis Kelsey's scores to the tight end 12 versus like the Justin Jefferson scores, which is the wide receiver 36 plus the flex position. Uh, Travis Kelsey was still the 13th overall player last year. He goes off in the actual NFL playoffs because they have to use him more and they drop back so much more often in those. Um, but in the regular season, not quite as dominant. I'm not talking shit on Travis Kelsey. Obviously, he's so, so, so good. But I think there's a little bit of red flags. And I think people like to, it's easier just to tell yourself that Travis Kelsey laps the field at tight end, which is a bad position more than Justin Jefferson does at his position. But none of the math that I've ever run has, uh, bared any truth with that i love that i think that is fabulous i like uh just for you know uh giggles i like uh, uh laporta and mm-hmm. i think kincaid i the, you yep. know those are the those are the rookies that but kincaid's adp has really kind of gone up so um you know i, I can i find i uh, you know again i know what isaiah likely can do and going into his second year um you know one thing I, I, I think that I missed as a, a, a player um, earlier and that I'm trying to adjust to is the chance that someone ahead of someone gets hurt, right? You know, Isaiah likely is very unlikely to hurt me because he's talented and he's going to catch 40, 50 passes. You know, he's going to get some touchdowns. I don't think he's going to hurt me, but if Mark Andrews does get hurt, Isaiah likely could be the guy that you need to have. Um, so I, 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 I've gotten better at kind of imagining a world where, you know, as long as the floor is there, I, I want, I want to take shots. I, I don't want to be negative because a guy might look like he's blocked because we've just seen too many times where that block gets removed, whether it's a trade an injury or whatever. Yeah, I think that's a path. I think after the NFL draft, there'll be a couple of veterans who we don't think are all that sexy that 
they didn't add anybody and they're just going to be on the field. Like the CJ Uzoma types, yes, they're never going to be top 20 guys, but all you're hoping for is a couple spike weeks based off of their touchdowns. And there's going to be some play to me like Hayden Hurst is an example of that where, yeah, they're not going to win you any crazy money here, but uh, them at your tight end three versus like adding your ninth wide receiver. Um, I just think the math works in the favor of some of these like late, late, late tight end picks. That's awesome. All right. Well, I, I think I told you I didn't think we'd get to too many things outside of your ADP article, but I at least want to give you a shot to hit the pass, uh, the ball on uniqueness. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned uniqueness to me. What does that mean? And what would you like to get across to people about uniqueness? Well, uh, it's harder to get unique in best ball versus in DFS because the players in the top 150 in ADP are being drafted 100% of the time. Nobody in DFS is drafted 100% of the time. So you have to find other ways to do it. And it's much harder to do so. So uh, one of the ways obviously is the players that are drafted like 190th to 200th overall in ADP. Um, I think drafting them a little bit earlier instead of the 150th overall players who get drafted 100% of the time, the projections don't matter or don't change all that much. So if I'm, I'm going to go ahead and draft some players a little bit ahead of ADP, it's at the very end of drafts uh, because the, the 200th overall player, uh, he's only going to get drafted 40% of the time. Does he project that much worse than the player that going 160th overall? Uh, really no. And the draft rate from 40% versus 100% is pretty substantial, especially when we get uh, – into those playoff rounds. Um, The biggest way though, is just looking at like kind of the second round. So like, for example, I ran a study, uh, Austin Eckler was being drafted like 12th overall in 2021. Um, The players right next to him in ADP, Steph Diggs, Aaron Jones, Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, uh, because they were drafted right next to each other, the the percent chance that they were going to be on the same exact team were much higher than if you would have reached on a second round player that would have like an 18th overall, like, the 12th overall player and the 18th overall player in ADP, they're not on the same team all that, all that often. It drops from like 14% down to being paired like 5% of the time. That's that supercharge effect that I talk about because they always go together in pairs. Um, If, if a couple pairs blow up in a bad way, it really helps the guys who didn't. Yes. So like in this example that I had uh, from 2021, it was Joe Mixon in Austin Eckler who were being drafted like 12th overall and 19th overall. Well, both of those players absolutely smashed, but the odds that they were drafted together were much lower. So I think that's one way to kind of look at this. There's some kind of weird, weird ones where um, like you have like going quarterback, quarterback and around like eight and nine, like right next to each other, like going back to back. A lot of people draft a quarterback and then wait. They don't double tap. So if they, there are quarterbacks together. That was my strategy last year. And the second tier completely died. Right. But I was, I was really taking a lot of, yeah, I love that. Yeah. It's just, it's just like a weird thing. Like, there's no reason for that necessarily to be the case, but if you're just looking at how could two teams stack together, uh, going quarterback, quarterback, in like rounds nine, 10, uh, they're just paired a little bit uh, less than like a quarterback in the third round, the 12th round um, would. I love that, especially uh, I would say, you know how I talked about, I don't see guys, once you get to like 16 or 17, I don't see a big difference in the quality of the player to maybe 33, 34. I, you know, I, I don't have those guys projected that far apart. Mm-hmm. What, so to your point, why not take a guy who's 28th, you know, and, and t- or, or 30th 
and take him at the two, three turn with Justin Jefferson and yep. give you something really unique. Mm-hmm. You're not giving up much to be different. Yep. Another little weird, weird thing I found was uh, like the rounds one, two uh, wide receivers are paired with other wide receivers at a higher rate because there's more people that are doing uh zero RB team. So like uh, if you draft a wide receiver in round one, the wide receiver that's like lines up in that kind of draft board ratio the wide receiver that's sitting there is going to be drafted at, with that wide receiver more so than the running back right next to it. And then even more so if you go wide receiver, wide receiver, if then you go running back, running back, running back, there's no, like there's no uh, person out there that goes wide receiver, wide receiver. And then all of a sudden wants to turn to running backs like that. You're either in the running backs matter cat- category or you're in the zero RB category. So that's one way to get unique is just go like wide receiver, wide receiver, then flip the build entirely and then think like a robust RB guy and you're not going to see like uh, the third round running backs paired with the the wide receivers just because the type of people that drafted those wide receiver wide receiver starts aren't drafting them. And then even beyond that, the types of running backs that the zero RB drafters draft look like one version, and it's pass catching backs. Kenny Gainwell is like a perfect example of this. I have uh, so much Kenny Gainwell. Right. He's but, my third high uh, – out, out of players who've been in the league before, he's my most owned running back mm-hmm. right now. Interesting. Yeah, but the the zero RB drafters draft the same type of players. Correct. Correct. And you can find some weird angles of drafting, like, let's say Dwayne McBride, who caught, I think, like two or three passes in his entire college career. I think it was five. Yeah. The zero RB drafters are not going to click Dwayne no. McBride. They're going to go really. find Zach Evans or one of these guys that's a little bit smaller that might be able to catch some passes. So, and obviously this is like galaxy brain and galaxy brain stuff. I, I, but... I love it. And I wish we had more time to like yeah. really dive into it, but uh, I, I, I really should get us out of here. Hayden um, at Hayden winks on Twitter um, as you can see, why I feel so strongly about him and his talent and the unique way he does it, give him a follow, um, and, and he is going to help you to kind of – I'll just say this. As someone who thinks of himself pretty highly as a best ball player, I'm glad you can't play. Um, <laughs> and I think that's the best compliment I can give you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, and I, I do think that um, you made some great points about uniqueness and how the stylistic approach is another way that you can get a little unique. Does that sum it up well? Yep, I completely agree with that. Uh, yeah, thanks for the kind words. I will say um, this year, the offerings that we'll have at Underdog won't be the exact same as last year, which will kind of shape uh, what worked last year. We're going to have to adjust the strategies in tiny, tiny ways, more offerings this year from Underdog. So be on the lookout. Uh, we'll start releasing them throughout the summer and stuff. But uh, one of our goals, I think that you guys will appreciate this, is not to just roll out the same exact product every year. There's so many people talking about best ball at this point. We don't want the conversation to get stale. So look, be on the lookout for different types of games. We'll start releasing all of that stuff throughout the summer. But uh, glad to talk to you. Glad that Sharp Football is getting more involved in the best ball space. Love all your work. All right, that's going to do it, folks. I want to, again, thank my guest Hayden Winks for joining us. And next week, we'll be joined by TJ Hernandez of 4 for 4 Fantasy. We're going to be discussing some of the basics of best ball, uh, roster construction, player exposure, and how to pick contests. We'll see you next week.